Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is a special episode of Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the details on what went down in Larry Householder's public corruption trial. This week, I'm joined, as always, by reporters Jesse Baumert and Laura Bischoff, who are down in Cincinnati in that federal courtroom day in and day out. So welcome to the show, guys. Greetings from the Queen City. Hey, hey. Yeah. How are things down in Cincinnati? Similar to Columbus, but also filled with a lot of federal courthouse. Yeah. So let's start with the massive stack of exhibits the prosecution has dropped. There's nearly 900 of them, and we're finally starting to see them brought out for the jury. We've got like phone records, text messages, audio recordings, calendar dates, right? Like, can you walk us through some of what Blaine Wetzel is walking the jury through? Yeah. So Assistant U.S. Attorney Emily Gladfelder has had uh, FBI Special Agent Blaine Wetzel on the stand for the entire week, which was Tuesday through Friday. And sometimes that is explaining recordings. For example, we heard phone conversations between lobbyist Neil Clark and uh, former House Speaker Larry Householder. Sometimes it's looking at financial records and matching that up to different payments that were made through these dark money groups for things like advertisements for candidates that Larry Householder was supporting in the 2018 races. So there's a lot of different things that we've been looking at this week. Yeah, and some of it's like very tedious and technical. Gladfelter is walking everybody through a lot of, I would say, boring details. But I think what it is, is it's the prosecutors showing their work on the math problem. And it's just a lot of stuff that they need to get down on the record. Yeah. And one of the exhibits that the jury actually hasn't seen yet, but we have seen is this photograph. Right. And it's an image of well, I guess it's an edited photograph. It's an image of the Ohio State House with a logo on top that says First Energy Stadium. So what's the debate there about whether the jury will get to see it? Well, the defense team has said that that would be prejudicial to the case. And the prosecutors are like are arguing that it should be admitted And Judge Black, who's presiding over the case, uh, basically punted on it and said, I don't want to see the image today. And he'll make a decision later about whether or not the jury gets to see that. And this image was created by First Energy folks. Is that correct? It's not really clear who created it, but it got passed around by First Energy folks and their allies. Okay, and that's when House Bill 6 passed. That's when this would have been circulated. Is that what the prosecution says? Yeah, that's the general timeline. Yeah. And so I guess at some point, Judge Black will decide whether the jury gets to see it. Um, I know there was a lot of a lot of talk on Twitter and social media about that image this week. We also finally got our first mention of Matt Borges, the other defendant on trial. And sometimes we kind of forget that it's both Larry Householder and Matt Borges on trial. Two other people who were indicted have pled guilty. And Neil Clark, who you referenced earlier, died by suicide. So... What are we hearing about Matt? How does he tie on into this? Like, what is the first appearance that he makes here? Yeah, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of talk about Householder and how he was recruiting candidates and how he was kind of staging this comeback to be leader of the Ohio House of Representatives. And now we're getting into how House Bill 6, this $1.3 billion bailout, passed through the Ohio legislature. Matt Borges was a lobbyist for First Energy Solutions, which 
was the name of the company at the time that owned those nuclear plants. So there's some discussion of, you know, passing the bill, which lawmakers need to be brought on board to vote for it. But a key element was after House Bill 6 passed, when there was groups of people that wanted to put it on the ballot and to to block the legislation. And the Ohio Attorney General has to approve some language saying that it's fair and accurate. And Matt Borges, who had a had a very close relationship with Dave Yost. First Energy folks wanted him to convince Dave Yost that this was really a tax, that this was something that couldn't be put on the ballot, couldn't be brought up for referendum. And we're kind of relying on that relationship. Eventually it didn't happen though. Dave Yost went ahead and approved the petition language and then they were able to go start collecting signatures. Eventually, of course, the referendum effort fell short. And just so I'm clear, like, because I know to prove racketeering, you don't have to prove that you're successful. You just have to prove that somebody tried. Is this sort of the beginning of the foundation for that, that perhaps like is the prosecution trying to allege that what he was doing with Davios was inappropriate or was it just like hardball politics? Well, I think federal prosecutors are trying to connect a lot of these dots and say that all of this behavior stepped over the line from regular politics as usual into something that is illegal. And they need to prove a couple elements. The ones that they're really focusing on are money laundering and bribery. And they kind of have to prove that the whole enterprise, so the whole group of people, um, was really attempting to bribe and money launder and maybe some other offenses. Yeah, you know, racketeering conspiracy case, it's just one count against Borges and against Householder, and it's the racketeering one. And under that, they have to prove, I think, two of the, at least two of the underlying predicate offenses, which are bribery, money money laundering, and wire fraud. So obviously, we've now heard uh, Matt Borges has entered the chat. Dave Yost has entered. Who, are there any other interesting names that have started to pop up from Ohio politics or just the universe out there? Well, you know, a lot of the focus has been on First Energy Corporation in the past because it's a publicly traded company and it signed the deferred prosecution agreement. And we haven't heard much about First Energy Solutions, which, again, as Jesse said, they that's the company that owned the pl- the nuclear plants and it was in bankruptcy. And it got it got the ownership of that. The control of it was run by John Judge and John Kiani. And so we started to see text messages involving Kiani. Um, being willing to pay for attack ads uh, that Householder wanted and uh, communicating with Chuck Jones, the CEO of First Energy. So we're hearing a little bit more about First Energy Solutions and its role in this whole thing. We also are hearing a lot of names of people that you might know if you follow Ohio politics. For example, we learned that former Republican Representative Dave Greenspan was one of the concerned citizens, the the concerned citizen who reached out to the FBI while House Bill 6 was still working its way through the Ohio legislature, concerned that this was potentially illegal behavior. We also heard about pressure in the Ohio Senate to pass House Bill 6 and that First Energy executive executives thought that Lieutenant Governor John Houston might be helpful in getting that through the legislature or expanding the number of years um, of the benefit of the nuclear. Another name that we're seeing in emails and text messages is Mike Carey, um, current member of Congress. He worked for Murray Energy, which was um, aligned with First Energy in support of House Bill 6. I also heard uh, DeWine's former chief of staff got mentioned, right, in her in relationship to her husband. 
Yeah, so there was a point when House Bill 6, they needed votes, and it was going to be a close vote. And so there was talk about sending the state plane to pick up three different lawmakers who were in Chicago for a conference and bringing them back to Columbus for this vote to vote yes for it. That state plane was approved by Laurel Dawson, the former chief of staff of uh, Governor Mike DeWine. And Mike Dawson, a first energy executive, you know, made reference to this state plane being sent saying, you know, Mike Dawson's wife, boom. We also found that there that it seems like Mike Dowling, who was a senior VP for First Energy, he really likes the word boom in text messages. Yeah, I mean, and all of these recordings, all of these text messages, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they will go into the public record when this trial is over. So right now you can only hear them in court, but we may actually be able to get our hands on these exhibits after the trial is over. I don't think that uh, Judge Black's going to allow allow releasing of the exhibits until until the case is concluded. Yeah. And speaking of that, obviously, we've got several more weeks of testimony to go. But what are you guys expecting to hear next in the trial? Are we going to get cross-examination of Wetzel next week? Are we going to get new prosecution witnesses? Well, so on Friday afternoon, Emily Gladfelter, the federal prosecutor, said that she wasn't quite finished with examining um, FBI Special Agent Blaine Wetzel, who's the case agent. So she'll probably do more questioning of him on Monday, and then we'll get to cross-examination. So both Householder and Borges' team will be able to uh, ask him about his testimony. And and then after that, the prosecution intends on calling Juan Cespedes, who was a uh, First Energy Solutions uh, lobbyist, and he uh, was arrested with Householder and Borges and others, and he took a guilty plea back in October of 2020. Yeah, it is worth noting that Householder and Borges' attorneys haven't had the opportunity to ask questions of Blaine Wetzel yet. All this week, it has been the government presenting their case. So it'll be interesting what comes up during that cross-examination. And one final question for you guys. You know, when you're in the courtroom, this is a lot of information. Like, does it, I mean, does it look like the jury's paying attention? Maybe you don't want to get like so opinionated on it, but like, Is it like, are you even like going through this and being like, gosh, this is a lot. Like, I just wonder how the prosecution is going to maintain the narrative when there's so much like dense detail. That is a big question. I mean, I, I, I look at the 15 jurors and I just wonder what's going through their heads. Are they are they picking up everything that the prosecution's putting down? How will they respond once Householder and, and Borges' team start to sow seeds of doubt? And you're right. It's just a tremendous amount of information to follow and to absorb and these are 15 different people, you know, some one juror is, you know, closely leaning in to look at every exhibit, taking very detailed notes. And then maybe another juror is, you know, looking off into space. So you never know. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we've covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Minerva News Leader. That's the-review.com backslash Minerva. 